Hey, what's going on there, podcast community? Matthew Johnson, back at it again with another episode of Dementia in Black and White. This week's episode, it's the saga continued. We are going to close out this saga, hopefully. This is the last part, part four of hopefully what will just be a four-part series on my mother's transition into a kind of assisted living facility for a respite back out, then into a hospital, and the transition from the hospital. So that's where we are now in the story. Let's pick it up there. So... Thank you for tuning in again. Matthew Johnson is my name, by the way. You're listening to Dementia in Black and White. And here, for those of you who might be new to the podcast, I really am here to just detail my journey of caring for my mother who has dementia. And the challenges that I face and the success stories that are there, too. So uh, the podcast covers the whole journey just so happens that this part of the journey we're into what might come across as a rant and my uh, kind of negative view of the systems that a person with a dementia has to interact with and the lack of training from the personnel who work in those systems, those systems that are in place to service really, of course, the public and everyone to include people with dementia. And I am finding that it really doesn't matter if you have a degree and even a degree in the healthcare field, as it were, that that gives you any knowledge of how to care for someone with dementia. And so as my mother has been in the hospital for two weeks at this point where I'm picking up this story, I'm starting to realize that she's not going to get better there in the hospital. And it has to deal with the fact that she has dementia and the professionals that are there to care for her. And you would think a hospital is where you go to get better. It appears the opposite was happening with her health. That the COVID had gone or at least she had been moved from the COVID ward area of the hospital into a regular area of the hospital And the visitation was allowed. So before with the COVID, you can only visit one person every five days. And now that she had moved into this other area, it was you can have a visitor every day. So that's better. And the reason that's better is because now my mother is allowed to see loved ones and to really receive care for the first time that's in line with 
her level of dementia because before she wasn't eating. Of course, then you can't have a bowel movement. Of course, that can lead to other medical conditions and concerns. And, you know, of course, the hospital is ready to treat those things and prescribe different types of medications for this, this, and this, and this, and then the side effects of this, this, and that, and this. But I remember just going in, and it may have been my daughter who actually went in on this particular day, and the nurse of the day who was caring for her talked about how just can't get it to eat. Just can't. I mean, initially it was they had to verify that she can swallow, and once they were able to do that, they did leave the food. But of course, my mother would see the food, and of course, this is a different strange person. You got different nurses that are seeing her, and then I'm assuming the person from the cafeteria or the diet staff, dietitian or whatever, is the person that's bringing the food. That's another person, and they're just dropping the food off. Here's your food and leaving. Nobody's trying to work with her, to sit with her, to you know, befriend her is a strong word, but just kind of start some familiarity with her and really answer her question because even when I was there, she thought that food was somebody else's. She didn't think it was even for her. So she wouldn't eat it on her own. But my daughter came in and just gave her something, a banana or something, and just the fact that she was receiving it from my daughter, a familiar face, she ate it. No problem. And the nurses were shocked. Oh, my goodness, you can get her to eat. Yeah. Because we know how to do that, and perhaps she's familiar with us, you know, with this dementia. So that really lit the light bulb in my mind that we've got to get her out of here. She's not going to improve here. She's gotten worse and laying in a bed, not eating having a catheter attached. It's just going to cause your body to shut down over time. Not to mention, there are a lot of sick people in the hospital. So a staph infection, a bed sore, uh, whatever, you just, those things are probably more likely to happen there than at home where there are people who love the person, know how to communicate with the person and can nurse the person back to health. I use the term nurse there loosely, not the technical term nurse. And so even in talking to the doctors and the nurses there, it was all kind of a day by day, but no prognosis in terms of going forward what the release date would be. So we really had to push that from our end on getting her released. I mean, we had asked that she be seen by a gerontologist or a neurologist, you know, somebody who could be more familiar with dementia uh, to no avail. And again, don't want to criticize the system too much as the system is currently taxed right now. And I don't know in general how much these specialties are available, but I would think If you had a child who came into your hospital through the emergency room at some point, they would see a pediatrician. I don't know. I don't know if they again exist on staff at hospitals or you have to go to, um, you know, the 
children's hospitals for things like that. That's how that works. Don't know exactly. But I know for sure with my mother, there did not appear to be any emphasis on the fact that she was a person with dementia. And so the things that you might do traditionally, the approaches that you might have to a patient might have to be different and no brighter example of that than with the PTOT, physical therapy, occupational therapy, because they would visit her and, you know, again, you're trying to help people to get better, been in the bed. So it's good to give them some physical therapy so they can start to exercise, walk, get up, use the bathroom, whatever. But they would go to see her, schedule the appointment, all of that. And then she would not cooperate. She has dementia. So, no, she won't cooperate. But that non-cooperation would then have her written off by them. They would then say, can't do any analysis of her, can't really make an opinion about her, even upon discharge, what she might need or what have you, because we can't do an assessment because she won't cooperate with us. And Pretty much in my eyes, they're saying we just don't know how to communicate with a person with dementia. We're limited. So because of that, you're limited into what resources that you're going to have access to. So looking at the situation and thinking, man, if she continues to lay up in that hospital bed, in my mind, she'll never walk again. PTOT is not working with her. The doctors, that's not their job. They're just kind of monitoring the conditions, monitoring the health of the individual. And I would assume if you just again keep getting weaker and weaker and laying down, the chances are whatever negative that is going to happen to you, lacking nutrition, you know, that is probably what's going to happen to you there in that state, and you're going to get worse. So just started to talk to the doctor about let's talk discharge, let's talk release. So then we got in touch with a social worker. Again, recommend if you know anybody who's in that field that you talk to somebody about that. So, of course, on the front end with the doctor and the hospital staff, I have a daughter who's in the field and could talk to those people and speak their language. Now we're talking discharge social worker just so happened that I know someone who's I guess they're still a social worker but technically they're they manage social workers. She has a degree in social work, a master's in social work and used to do social work on the ground but now is a manager of social workers but more importantly in addition to that this person, a family friend close family friend also had a grandmother who she is currently the primary caregiver for and who had a hospital stay and had been discharged with, you know, some medical equipment to help with her grandmother at home and Medicare paid for that. And so she was able to give me some advice, you know, so I got a chance to talk to her before talking to the the folks who were kind of the administrative side of the hospital staff regarding discharge planning. So a social worker and a, a separate person who 
was talking about Medicaid and another person who was the caseworker. I may be getting that title wrong, but that person essentially was the liaison between the hospital, me, and any discharge agency. So uh, the PTOT that would happen on discharge in terms of getting a home health agency, again, that would come from some recommendation from the doctor or the hospital uh, PTOT, perhaps, in terms of what she needed in rehabilitation and the equipment place that would provide, you know, a hospital bed and a wheelchair or a bedside commode, those types of things. She, this individual, and it's a she in this case is why I'm saying she, uh, is the person that would provide the logistical contacts and putting all that in place. Right. So the caseworker is what that person was. And they also communicate with the social worker. I think they're kind of on the same team, perhaps even work in the same office in the hospital. But And, and that understanding, by the way, of that even came from me talking to somebody. I don't really know much about that. This is my first time dealing with that first time having a loved one, at least someone this close to me in the hospital and being really in charge of that individual's care. So. You know, all this is new to me. So I'm just trying to figure out how things work, but just understand my perspective of where we are right now. I know that my mother has been in a hospital bed for two weeks. She hasn't walked. She's not eating. So she's weak. And we want to discharge her and the doctor and the nurse kind of agree. Yes, we're not doing much with her here. Let's go ahead and start to get her discharged. So we're on a Friday and planning a discharge on a Monday. And so they share that with, I guess, that social work team and that caseworker. And so the caseworker talks to me on that Friday and there appeared to be some lack of communication between, you know, kind of what I knew and seen from being at the hospital visiting my mother and what the doctor is saying that, yes, she's going to need a hospital bed. Yes, she's going to need a wheelchair at home because one, she has that here and two, and more importantly, She's not walked. She's not demonstrated to PTOT that she can walk because, of course, they don't work with her. And she's not, you know, getting up, going to the bathroom, things that she was doing before being admitted to the hospital. She's not back to that. So you would think not you would think but the doctors pretty much know that she's going to need that assistance at home. Can't just discharge her to a house without some of these basic things. Otherwise, uh, you know, the family won't be able to care for her. And so I just thought that, you know, since that's something that the doctor's recommending, that that would be covered by the insurance, Medicare. And so talking to this person on Friday, our conversation was left with, yes, I'll talk to the doctors and verify that she needs those things. And then, you know, we can request it. But otherwise, you'd have to pay for it. And the hospital bed is $150 to rent per month. And the wheelchair was $62 per month to rent. You know, if you have to pay the private pay of that. So I'm like, yeah, well, let's see, because it sounds like the doctor's saying that she will need those things. So let's just see if the insurance will cover it. And that's the extent of the conversation on Friday. Monday, we're, the hospital's like, yep, we're ready to discharge her. And then this person 
I talk to them, the caseworker person, and they're essentially saying that that's not going to be covered. And I want to analyze this conversation with you. And I did record the conversation. And so just so all of our legal folks out there are going to be wondering, how in the world can you record a conversation? This is a state where I live where a one party in a conversation, as long as they are a participant in the conversation, can record the conversation. So legally, there's no issue there. But on top of that, I'm going to not mention this person's name, not mention the hospital. So I'm not giving out any identifying information, but I want you to hear this directly so that you have an understanding of essentially what I experienced. Of course, I'm going to have my interpretation of it and you'll be allowed to have your interpretation of it. And the hospital staff that's here again, I offer and extend to you and anybody from the hospital staff as I'm you know, going hard on the hospital staff here. Uh, if you want to come and have an interview with me on the podcast, absolutely open invitation for that. So just picking it up from the uh, Monday now. So now it's kind of getting to the point of she is supposed to be discharged. I hadn't heard back from the person. I'm assuming they were going to talk to the doctors and see if they could pay for this. But turns out they did not talk to the doctors and are saying that the place that supplies the equipment won't approve insurance paying for the equipment, which doesn't make sense to me. Don't know how that happens, but that's what's going on. And so I want you to hear that. And then I'm going to jump back in and make some more comments. So here is that conversation. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. I got your message and I spoke to Ron Ally and she said we don't have a really a medical reason to um, get your mother to the hospital bed or the wheelchair. Okay, that the insurance will Okay. But did you try the number that I gave you for the best I can mode? No, no, I haven't reached out to them yet. I was waiting to see what would be covered here before reaching out to them. So you're saying the person at the medical supply place makes the determination as to whether or not there's a medical reason for the bed and the wheelchair? Based on all the clinical um, documentation, okay? I thought when we talked last that you said it was PTOT and perhaps the doctor that would make that well they put no sin determining on the need if they, she would need a bed okay and reasons are being if her head of the bed needs to be elevated at 30 degrees all the time because of um, COPD is one of the things and if she needs to be frequently turned because of some bed sores or anything so that's the documentation that Medicare needs to have in order to pay for it Okay, so she's not working with physical therapy and occupational therapy. So, So, right. She wasn't working with them. So you can see the catch-22 then that we're in with her not working with PT and OT, but yet there needing to be some documentation for this medical equipment. Now, again, though I 
know that the PTOT hadn't worked with her. For sure, the doctor and I had a conversation and explicitly the doctor mentioned, yes, that the insurance will cover this. You know, I'll document this in a file. So my whole conversation with her really is just around getting the communication gap closed. Because I'm hearing from the doctor the one thing, but hearing from you something else. And I thought you, this manager, caseworker person, were I thought they were going to talk to the doctor that past Friday to kind of hear what I had been hearing. But that didn't happen, obviously. They did not talk to the to the doctor. And the file, the record of, you know, my mother's record, did not get updated to reflect what she would need upon discharge. So to me, it just seems real simple. Get that straightened out. Update the file to what I am being told. And then that will take care of the people who are, you know, issuing the bed. Because, of course, they don't see it in there. So I understand their position. We can't bill insurance with no medical need for the thing. No problem. I understand that. But for some reason, me and the case manager were also having a bit of a miscommunication because all I was saying was let's close the communication gap so that what I understand my mother's condition to be and what the doctor and the nurse are saying her condition is, that that is documented in the record and that likely will have a green light for providing the medical care. All right. That's my belief. Again, I don't know the system that well, but for some reason she was of the impression that I should. And you heard her say, did you call the number that I gave you? It was for a nonprofit organization that provides used uh, medical equipment, you know, particularly, I guess, when people's insurance don't cover it. And so that's fine. But I didn't think we were at that point yet that, you know, there's no need to go there if this can be done through, you know, the the hospital and the system that exists there. So that's what she was asking if I had called that place yet. And I hadn't because that's not where we left things off. So that's fine, you would think. Until. She makes a comment that really sets me off. Now, I've not met this person. I've not met the doctor. I've not met some of the nurses. I met one nurse that was there when I was there visiting. But the nurse that she's saying hadn't updated the file, I had not met. So, yeah, I don't know any of these people. Haven't asked for any special dispensation. Haven't asked for anybody to do anything special for me. Don't know these people at all. Now, I am going to assume that this caseworker knows that I'm an African-American. I mean, I sound like an African-American probably. But also, my mother is there in the hospital where she works, so she maybe has seen my mother to know she's an African-American. And even if she didn't, the file, the first line, 
in my mother's file upon being admitted to the hospital says, 81-year-old African-American female and her name presents with blank. So it's right there. And that's maybe a podcast for another day. Why is race mentioned as the first line of somebody's medical record in a hospital? Why is the race there? But I digress. The race is there. So she will know that I'm an African-American. Just saying, you know, just want you to hear later on in the conversation. So we go back and forth about communication, wanting to close that loop. What she says to me that sets me off. And it is, I'll just tell you so that in case you don't hear it clearly here. Out of the blue, she says, we can't lie on the forms like the notes in the file. We can't lie as if anybody asked her to lie. Wow. Really? Let's go back to that conversation. If she puts those documentations in that is needed, then we could get it covered. Okay, but she can't lie on any note. So she has to feel that this patient needs. Wow. That just sent me out. So you have to understand this about me. I am very mild-mannered, low-key, easygoing type of guy. Even in the face of conflict, I'm just take it easy, take the high road, you know, get the message across. But you're going to hear in my voice now that mm-mm, not at all am I happy about this. So you'll hear my response to her. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that. She can't lie on any notes as if you think I'm asking her to lie on a note. I didn't say that. I mean, I don't know why you brought that up. I don't I don't even know what where that comes from. I am only going on what I know about where she is. She has not gotten out of the bed since she's been in the hospital. She has not demonstrated that she can walk. So to me, I would think she at least needs a wheelchair to be moved around if she has not demonstrated that she can walk. And anybody who's been in the bed for two weeks, it's going to be a little bit before they can walk again, just from the muscle memory and all of that. And of course, if you're in a bed, yes, you do need to be moved for bed sores and all of that. If she's not going to be up and walking, she's going to be in a bed. So I'm not trying to get something out of the system or get anybody to do anything unethical. I'm just trying to make sure that the communication loop is the same from what I'm seeing and what I'm being told that that's also being shared with the people that need to know. That's all. So, man, I I gotta tell you, this unfortunately is the whole thing about being black in America. Because for me, just having a conversation with someone about, you know, kind of doing their job and getting from the system what you deserve from the system, 
turns into a question of character and integrity all of a sudden. And of course, this could just be a horrible employee who doesn't want to do their job. Could be a person having a bad day. But unfortunately, if you're an African-American in this country, the other thing that pops into your head is, is this because I'm black? Why in the world would you have the audacity to mention something about we can't lie on a form? When no one at all in any part of this conversation could begin to interpret anything that I was saying as lie on the form, make up something. It's all true. It's just not on the form. For some reason, it's a drop in the communication. It's not a lie. It's all the truth. But if it were your mother, if it were your auntie or sister that was laying in the hospital bed, I would imagine you would just do what was necessary. And unfortunately, I also think if it were somebody that looked like you, you would give them the benefit of all the doubt. You would give them the benefit of whatever the system provides. And that's the part. When you're African-American, unfortunately, I can't just chalk it up to poor customer service. There's this crazy making that happens that wonders, where else could that be coming from? Other than you looking down on me for one reason or another, and you don't know much about me. I don't know you. I don't know any of these people here. How could that cross your mind? That this is in some way somebody trying to gain, gain the system. Like the welfare queens of the 70s and 80s. People trying to gain the system. We know there are more non-African Americans on welfare than African Americans. Nobody's trying to game the system. And so just to conclude this story as this podcast is getting longer than my normal podcast. She contacted the nurse. The nurse updated the file to put the notes in that needed that showed that she needed a bed in a wheelchair. And that was approved by the insurance. And that's really all it took for her to close that loop. And then the bed gets here. And it's a piece of crap. It's an old bed. Looked like it came from a 1970s elementary school insane asylum. Brown metal footboard, headboard, old. I mean, what? You think I'm trying to game the system for that? Really? Really? What in the world have we come to? This is the system. The system that you have to fight every step along the way to get something that's who is gaming the system for a hospital bed? A used, scratched up hospital bed. I'm not. But I would like to be treated 
equally. I would like to have access to the things that are available legally to me. But why does that have to be a fight? Why does my integrity have to be questioned in order to receive those things? Give me a break. Well, that music, folks, means that's got to be it. I got to close it here. And hopefully next week, we'll pick it up and just talk about where we are. And it'll be more positive. Until next time. First of all, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And continue to care for your loved one. That's important. But also, please... Especially if you're getting extra stress from caring for your loved one. Make sure that you take care of yourself. That is equally important. Matthew Johnson. I'm out.